Hello, and welcome to You Should Watch This with Ed and Simon, the film podcast in which two friends explore a galaxy of neglected movie masterpieces. Each episode, one of the boys presents an overlooked film they love and tries to convince the other of its misunderstood genius. Hello, this is a podcast called You Should Watch This. My name is Simon Fowler, I'm here with Ed Heim. And I guess what I'm trying to do today is pitch to you a film which I think you will love, Ed. Ooh. And which I think people in general will love. But this film is called Ride Lonesome. It was made in 1959? Yes, indeed. And it stars Randolph Scott, and it's directed by a guy called Bud Bertica. It was a, a, a one film made in a series of about seven with the same actor, probably shot in the same locations. It was filmed in 18 days, and it's about an hour and a quarter long, and it is an absolute firecracker of a film. It's just so well-contained. It's a Western genre piece. It's a B-movie. It's got strong, silent men. It's got outlaws. It's got bounty hunters. It's got revenge. This is Ride Lonesome, and Ed, I think you're going to love it. I was going to say, let's saddle up, but... (laughs) I'm too ashamed. Uh, giddy up. Giddy up. Okay, you've heard the pitch, so before Ed and Simon discuss it, now might be a good time to watch the movie if you haven't already. Links are available on youshouldwatchthis.com or you can listen on anyway, but be warned. As well as stuff like this. <laughs> I'm going to lower the tone here. Well, it's ludicrous. I mean, did all women wear bras like that in the 50s? I think they must have done. There will be a ton of spoilers. So, Ed Heim, you've probably spent an hour and a quarter of your life now watching Ride Lonesome 1959, directed by Bud Burdisker, starring Randolph Scott. It's an amazing western, I thought so. What did you think? I loved it. It took me a little while to get warmed up to it, mm. but Jesus Christ, it's an, that's an amazing film. And I say this as someone who doesn't really yeah. like westerns. I, I don't think I really like westerns, but I like this. I watched it going, all oh, right, this is what a western should be like. It was so lean, it was like, it was so mythic. It's what seemed like this really simple story. It just expanded out into these big, profound, heartbreaking themes yeah. and... Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was absolutely great. Uh, Randolph Scott, I'd never seen a Randolph Scott movie before. Yeah. Instantly wanted to know more about that <laughs> yeah. guy. Um, yeah, I loved it. I'm really glad you put me onto it. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing, as you say, it's so lean. I think it's like 30 seconds in and you're like, all right, I've, 75% of the characters have been set up. Randolph Scott, he's caught up with an outlaw and, you know, it explains the motivation and sets up these yeah. scenes. Five minutes later, you, you run on a, a couple of outlaws who've sort of taken semi-hostage this woman at a, a sort of outpost station an amazing cameo or in his James first Coburn. film James Coburn in, yeah. his, in one of his first films but exactly as you say it's being so such a lean and such a great example of the western this was a film that was absolutely adored by a lot of the French film critics of the new really? wave so Andre Bazin he said he loved this film because a gun is a gun a rock is a rock, and a horse is a horse. Oh, you, that, exactly. Get on the animal, Billy. We're going back. Now, you know I can't do that. 
Anything you can. Look for Gate. If I was to ride south with you, there's them and see me hang. You left a dead man in the street in Santa Cruz. It's a fair fight. He was killed from behind, like the others. Plot is as the plot is. There's no hidden layers that's supposed to be about the Civil War or... I mean, you can see it being about, say, a man's struggle, but it is exactly what it is. It's a really functional unit of a film. Yeah, and it's kind of shorn completely of implications and uh, references and stuff like that. It's just this guy... This guy has to get this guy to here. Mm. Yeah, at the same time, that main guy, the Ben Brigade, there's actually... I think there's a really cool trick they play with him, which is that you don't know what he's about. Yeah. For mo- he's the main character, but you don't really know what the hell he's on mm. about for most of the film. Which would be a really tricky thing to pull off, except they bring in those two guys that want to collect the bounty themselves, the James Coburn and whoever that other guy is, yeah. who was brilliant, by yeah. the way, so charming. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget his name, but he was also a TV actor who went on to do um, good things. Pernell Roberts. Pernell Roberts, what how a great name. Be, how could you be anything other than a cowboy called yeah. Pernell Roberts? War signs. Well, we got a treaty with the Mescaleros, ain't we? There's words on paper, Wed. Yeah, we've been getting along. I knew a man once, got along with his wife. One day she up and headshot him. Yeah, so he went on to be a big, uh, you know, a TV actor in a load of westerns. And, and, and something that's quite interesting about this film is that it was deliberately shot on CinemaScope widescreen in order to combat television. Right. Because at this time in 1959, you're getting a lot of TV shows that are starting to become popular, especially westerns. Yeah. And for a B-movie like this, it had to right. try and set itself apart. What sort of tricks or ploys could they use to get people out of yeah. the house and paying money to see this on a, as a double feature? I, get, I mean, they must have been terrified, the guys making these movies, because like, they weren't long movies in the first place. TV must have been like camped right on their front lawn. I think it looks really beautiful, though. I mean, obviously, there's not like thousands of extras, but... I did watch it going, oh yeah, this is why this is why they made westerns because it's like there's so much beautiful scenery and it's so hard and dangerous looking and it just looks great and widescreen and it's and it's just yeah. there and this film completely milks it. There's all those, you know, there's lots of long shots of them just riding, yeah. but it gives you plenty of time to lock into the film and start projecting onto it and and and, and feeling it. Yeah. As the name suggests, Ride Lonesome, it is about being sort of isolated in this massive uninhabited area of the west where you do occasionally run into people but it could be you know long stretches of time before you yeah. you actually see anyone and a bit more about the like the theme of of being alone so martin scorsese actually gave this film to matt damon and leonardo dicaprio whilst they were making the departed because it wanted to show them how people can you know deal with the isolation and being alone so that Randolph Scott's character is with people yet you can tell he's emotionally detached and is away somewhere else yeah. in the same way in The Departed Leonardo and DiCaprio and uh, Matt Damon the, the undercover and have switched lives almost but they're putting on this facade and right. really they're on their own yeah. amongst um, a group of people that's really interesting because that's something that I think that that I kind of got about this film that I that is in I would think all westerns. What I didn't get, what what this film showed me was how the western joins up with the crime thriller. Because in that Ben Brigade character, they've got the archetype of a guy who is alone, and because he's alone, he's able to function in this dangerous world because he's not looking after anyone. He's not bound by the moral rules 
that everyone else is. And he, so he's basically a tough guy, answerable to no one, out in a bad man's world, getting shit done. Yeah. Basically, using his using his powers for good. It it doesn't bother you bringing him in. I mean, no, ma'am. You just don't seem like the kind that would hunt a man for money. I am. And because of that, the film is allowed to happen. Because he, because he is uh, ruthless, unbending, does does what he sees as the right thing. That's what the movie is. That's what the, that's the story. But once the movie's over, that guy, even though he's helped everyone else around him, is not allowed to go back. He's not allowed to go back home because he doesn't have a home. Because he exists in he exists on the frontier. He has no place in the town. And what and that's obviously right in the middle of this film and it's just something I hadn't really got maybe I'm an idiot or maybe I just haven't seen the right westerns but that is exactly the theme of basically any thriller you can think of Like, so I watched um, Thief the Michael Mann movie yeah. soon after this which is exactly the same story if you're actually going to move in that world which you, I mean it's interesting Scorsese likes this film because it's kind of the subtext of every single film he's made if you are going to move in this world if you're going to be a gangster you cannot have a real life you cannot have a family. You can you, you cannot belong to the rest of society. Once you're in this, that's you marked, and you and you can never you can never have all the other things that that, um, that you might want, or even even something like Batman, The Dark Knight. You know, he defends Gotham, but he has no actual place in Gotham, and that that was something I found really really compelling and and sort of mythic, and just just the joys of watching a genre story told well. <laughs> They'll get around to it. <laughs> I'm going to lower the tone here. Well, one thing that bothered me, although also I kind of liked it in terms of like, I guess it was like true to the times, the times of the film was made, not the time the film was set. Her tits in this film, the cones of like, it's ludicrous. I mean, did all women wear bras like that? In the 50s. I think they must have done. But if, if you watch any more of the uh, Bud Bertiker and Randolph Scott Westerns, you see that women do not have the most well-rounded characters right. or, or parts. There is usually a woman in the film. In this film, she's almost traded for a horse with the Native Americans. That's right, yeah. She got a horse, wants to make a trade. For what? You. Said they've been seeing you here. He wants to take it for his squaw. So what do we do now? Play along with him. Play along with him? We don't. We have to stir up every buck in the country. Come on. Just do like I tell you. Brigade. It's it's very much of the time that it was made. You know, the sexual politics or of of the 1950s in America or everywhere really is. There's there's not a lot of great parts for women in these westerns. No, women in this in this story what. A woman isn't actually a woman. She's it's what, it's what she represents to the main character, and in this, she represents the the world he's not allowed to have. Mm. He's like, there's no place for women in this harsh frontier. Every you know, just guys killing each other. Mm. Um, there's no there's no place for sort of softness and decency and femininity and all of that. Don't come out here. Nothing for a woman to see. 
Although beyond all of that, beyond the slightly ridiculous, it was, I mean, it's like it's so marked it out as something made in the fifties. Mm. Someone may as well, you know, they could <laughs> they could have had a sort of teddy boy, like yeah, you yeah. know, greasy his hair and gets yeah, the Cadillac yeah. as well. Well, Pernell has has quite weird slicked hair. I seem to recall. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I think I think I, I really loved it's when the film finally plays its last card and it goes mm. and you go, okay, this is what I've been watching the whole time. Mm. He's trying to lure out the guy yeah. that murdered his wife. Long ago back, I was the sheriff of Santa Cruz. Wrote Billy's brother Frank in for murder. The jury found him part guilty, sent him to Yuma. Swore he got out, he'd get even. He was young, wild. Word came that Frank was out. I waited for him in the street. He didn't come. When I got home, my, my wife had gone. Frank had been there, taken her, brought her here. Here? Yes, ma'am. He hung her. I thought that was really beautifully done. And, and suddenly, it was like they've taken this guy, this archetype, which is like the moody, the moody guy on the horse who's tough and doesn't give anyone the proper time of day and, you know, all of that. And they've actually done it properly. Like is that it was incredibly moving when you go, Okay, yeah, of course I'm watching grief, I'm watching a guy dealing with enormous loss. Yeah. He's not just an asshole. Which is the trick they tried to pull with every single one of those characters. Yeah. But it was done yeah. really, really well here. For for a film that operates in such sort of era specific comfort zones, that burning tree image I found yeah. completely shocking. Yeah. That, yeah, that's totally amazing and, and that's the especially the sort of French film critics that I was talking about, they loved attaching like what is the symbolism of this? Is it, you know, is this the, the they've set the tree on fire? Is it his soul being destroyed? Is it, you know, yeah. that part of him that can now go? He's fine because he has had the revenge. But it is very interesting, as you say, Randolph Scott, that strong, silent type, he is. Um, I got another quote from um, Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver, yeah. um, also directed the Cat People. He, he just summed up Randolph Scott in this film so well. He said, It's like a tuning fork. You can't see him move, but you can feel the vibration. What about Billy? What about him? Well, them sitting out there between you and Santa Cruz kind of makes the hill higher to climb, don't it? <laughs> they could swing north, take Billy to Bisbee. Rope's a rope. He's going to Santa Cruz, no matter what. No matter what. He is wooden. Yeah. You'd say. Like, he is wooden, and his delivery is odd, but he's just like a, a square-jawed B-movie star. Yeah. But, but how does it work? I mean, because at the beginning I was like, who is this guy? He looks like he's just sort of walked out of the country club and put on a silly yeah. cowboy outfit. And but, but within sort of five minutes I was completely seduced by it. I was completely... I bought him and I sort of bought the world. Yeah. Because he was this, he's very much a B movie star by this. And by, I mean, we should probably say B movie in the sense that this film was deliberately short and would have been shown at the same time with another, you know, star feature, an A movie. And I think Bud Bertica actually said when he they first started making these films, they spoke to the studio and was like, "Well, who are we going to get as the lead?" And they said, "Oh, you can have Randolph Scott because he's finished." Oh, Um, which I feel is quite harsh. But also, I mean. When you do get to watch more of these Bud Bertica films, you know, like Comanche Station. Um... I, w- I started watching Comanche Station, and it the plot seemed pretty close to yeah. this, <laughs> kind of the same. Yeah, I would advise to watch the other films because they were very good. The Tall T is also another good film, but they will blend yeah. pretty much into the same f- film. 
This probably is a bit more nuanced than, than the others. If you like this, I would also recommend Buchanan Rides Alone, which is another one by the same creative team that I saw, which actually has quite a different tone. It's all set in a town, slightly lighter. He's a nicer guy. Mm-hmm. He's a sort of, he's a bit, not happy-go-lucky, but he's, um, he, he cracks wise. Also, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all these movies basically have a reference to loneliness and horses in yeah. the title. <laughs> Whatever fusion yeah. of those you can conceive of. I think actually in Comanche Station they have a scene there's, a, there's something that's shot in the place with the burnt out tree mm. uh, except it's flooded it looks like a sort of a lake or a swamp or something then yeah. um, I guess they could do anything in those days you know just to reuse and re I think there was a, a story of them saying that they went um, up with a cine- cinematographer to get like this they, they climbed up this sort of mountain path on horses with the cameras and they got to this space and Bobertica was like, yeah, this is where I want to have like the wide shot to see them coming over the hill. And the cinematographer's like, okay, great. I can just use the same holes that we did for <laughs> that other film 10 years ago. And they're like, thought they'd got to a real original, original point. But, but even in spite of all this, like it's, there are so many tropes of the Western, even if you've never seen a Western, you understand so much of this, yet it feels new and different or it's doing something where you're like actually this is it's it's smart on its feet it's yeah. it's you know it is a really well, tight plot and it, it has a really tight plot and nothing happens that doesn't absolutely need to happen mm. but within that there's actually a, within the sort of dynamics of the characters there's a surprising amount of nuance Pernell Roberts's character he's yeah. called Samboon Samboon okay like that guy because he's almost like a Han Solo guy yeah. isn't he like do we trust him do we not because that he's got red, doesn't he? Like the sort of slightly goofy sidekick, yeah. um, and it, and who's kind of like Chewbacca, I suppose. Yeah. How can you not yeah. love him? He's tall, yeah. and he's sort of his heart is in the right place, and he's not just a baddie. He's not just oh, a no. goodie. But you sort of, but he, you also believe that he might kill this guy. Yeah. Good night, Mr. Boone. Mrs. Lane. If you count on Brigade being any help to you, better head forget it. You won't be going all the way to Santa Cruz. I gotta kill him. Because he's wanted for a crime, and he is trying to—he is trying to kill the guy because he knows if he brings him in um, dead, he will get a, a pardon. Or, uh, which is a, which is a hell of a trick to pull off to have a guy yeah. in your movie who you believe is likely to kill the main character, yeah. yet you still like him and you still root for him, whilst also liking rooting for the main character. And they do it really, really well. Um, and, and, and the relationship he has with James Coburn. You know, just before the end, Pernell Roberts' character is speaking to James Coburn and says, I don't think you're going to be able to work for me anymore. And he's like, oh, what? You know, why is that? Because, you know, he's very wet behind the ears. And he says, because after this, we're going to be partners. Partner? Right down the middle. Well, how come? Because I like you, Weird. Well, I never knew that. Now get up on that rise. Yes, sir. That's just injecting another sort of element of of these characters into it where they are quite rich and interesting and you want to know about them. And even though they've probably robbed and killed and these things, you do end up sort of rooting for them, which I really like. Well, it's that 
it just comes back to the archetypal American thing. Of they're, just, they're just like, they're guys going out there trying to get theirs, aren't they? They're doing whatever it takes to get ahead in the world that they, that they find themselves in. Relatable because of that. As you say, you're someone who doesn't like westerns, and I've I have been trying, I've been racking my brain to think of another western that I have enjoyed as much as this. I mean, I suppose you've got the the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns yeah. that are definitely joined, but that I'm a those, sucker for Unforgiven as well. I like that. The spaghetti westerns came at a time where America has gone through making these churning these films out, and this is a mass-produced film. You know, they made yeah. seven of them seven years in a row. They're making TV shows of westerns. They're using the same plot, the same stock. But I can't really think of many westerns, you know, that I have enjoyed as much as, as much as these. It puts you at ease very early yeah. on, and you feel like you've got, you feel like you've got a really. This is like a lazy Sunday afternoon movie, and you feel like you've got a handle on exactly what's going on, and then you're surprised, but only after you've been sort of lulled into this full sense of security. had some questions though about yeah. Randolph Scott because yeah. I did a quick Google on him and I mean I, I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's obviously a good actor but his his legacy is basically B-movies mm. people say he's a B-movie actor who might also have been Cary Grant's gay lover yeah by, by the way there's nothing wrong with being, <laughs> being anyone's gay lover certainly not Cary Grant's but but he also protested he also said he wasn't the whole time and that sort of it's, it's, it's clouded his whole career hasn't it yeah and I think there's something so difficult about that, talking about that sort of era of Hollywood when, if you've ever read Hollywood Babylon, which is Kenneth Anger, who was a sort of avant-garde filmmaker, wrote this book about all the stories in Hollywood that he picked up when his parents were in the, the Hollywood industry. Rumours about people or, or these, right. these things that were covered up. He lived in a house with Cary Grant. Here's Cary Grant and Randolph Scott watching a ball game, or maybe it's the races. Anyhow, they're watching something. And were they, weren't they gay? Or, you know, I, I, I guess it is really hard for us to, to equate what two guys living together, which in a place they called The Bachelor Paradise or whatever it was. The Bachelor Paradise. Or, or no, The Bachelor Club or something like that. <laughs> right. And were they gay in what we would understand as like the modern, you know, idea of homosexuality or were they just two dudes who slept in a bed and had fun <laughs> I, you know, but it's interesting and i hang on I, but i mean they shared they, they shared a house no, that is to, they shared a bed no i'm i'm, I'm extrapolating right, from the okay. idea right. i do not know that carrie grant and randolph scott slept in a bed together no. although if we could break that story it might help yeah. um, <laughs> this podcast to uh, find a new audience but randolph scott i can't think of him in anything else that I would have ever seen or wouldn't necessarily on the back of this um, sort out to see him in anything. I mean, he does do well yeah. as I mean, the he... strong silent type, but, you know, is he going to is is he gonna stand out in a, a knockabout comedy or, or something like that? Mm. 
Buchanan Rides Alone is is slightly it's not a knockabout comedy, but it is a, he's got a much lighter touch in it. And he stopped making films altogether three years after this. This is kind of the last thing, one of the last things he did. I suppose it would have been seen as a sort of uh, being put out to pasture, but yeah. but I mean, but didn't they do well? You'd have to say he's really great, but the script and the direction are just super tight. Yeah. You know, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. So it was Bert Kennedy um, was the writer of this film, was well known for writing this kind of genre film. But little known, he then went on to be a director of the 1991 film Suburban Commando, starring Hulk Hogan, Christopher Lloyd and Shelley Duvall. Wow. I mean, I can trawl IMDb <laughs> for days and days and days, and it all becomes worth it when I discover that the writer of some 50s B-movie Western went on to make that probably straight-to-video classic. Right. Do you remember Suburban Commando? No. Or ever seen it? I was, I was thinking of Commando, the Schwarzenegger movie. No, no. Suburban... If, if it had been Commando, that would have been amazing. No, it's Suburban Commando. I think Schwarzenegger was supposed to be in it, but it was around about the time of Kindergarten Cop, um, so he didn't do it. <laughs> See, this is the kind of trivia people aren't expecting. They're probably looking for cerebral talk on westerns with Andre Bazin quotes. And well, uh, they got that. As they well. got that as well. They well, got a whole lot more. They got a whole lot more. What would you screen it with? I guess that is the question. I mean, immediately. So the, the, the way I found out about this film was that it was on as a double bill at the British Film Institute with The Tall T, which is another Bud Burtica, Randolph Scott Western. I reckon if I'd have had a snooze in the middle, I might not have known that they were uh, <laughs> different. two different films. <laughs> what was, wait, I thought that guy... I once did that with a hangover, watching, uh, watching Inspector Morse with a hangover, um, <laughs> flipping between when the adverts came on. Watching it, ITV2 and ITV2 plus one, oh and God. and being completely convinced that it was actually the best Inspector Morse had ever seen, because the because the plot was so surprising. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> well, actually, it was just the same film out of sync with itself. Oh. I don't know what could you put it with. The only somewhat out there western, I would, as a mad double bill would be like El Topo. El Topo. Yeah, oh yeah. I do like that. I mean, that's a psychedelic western, which is going in different directions. Yeah. But now I'm sort of. That's, that, those are, that, that's a great double bill, actually. Yeah. The sort of the two extremes of the yeah. spectrum. One, you've got the ultra minimalist, <laughs> stripped down version, and then you've yeah. got like the prog rock, yeah. psychedelic yeah. explosion at the other end. That's so. As a man who's going to see a double bill tonight, Ed, would you rather go and watch Ride Lonesome and El Topo? I think that'd be interesting. I would. I would love to watch that. I think you would really struggle to find someone who enjoyed both of those films. <laughs> it might be just you and me. Uh, oh, hey, okay. you and me in the dark, like <laughs> Kelly Grant <laughs> and Randolph Scott. So, what would you put it with? Hmm. It, it feels like it should go with something sort of lean and sort of stripped down. Do you know what? I would stick this with something. And bear with me. Something like Drive. A silent guy with a mm. brooding past mm. who's capable of operating in this world but is not allowed to have the trappings of family. I think that's that would sit well. Or, you know, it might go well with Thief, even though they're, yeah. I mean, they're basically the same film, yeah. Thief and Drive. 
one of those two. Take your pick. Which, whichever will get more bums in seats. It's going to be drive, isn't it? That's my pick. Thank you for listening. You Should Watch This is hosted by Ed Heim and Simon Fowler. Produced by David Craigie, Ed Heim and Simon Fowler. It's edited by David Craigie, who also creates the theme music. I'm Kerry Hall and I play the voice of a much-needed woman. Be sure to rate and subscribe to You Should Watch This wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter on at WatchThisPod or find out more on YouShouldWatchThis.com. On the next episode of You Should Watch This with Ed and Simon. You would never do that now. Yeah. Get away with anything. Cocaine adult, bald leading man. He can be the only person delivering all of the funny lines and it can be my favourite film of all time. <laughs> Cocaine does terrible things to the ego. <laughs> Obviously our lawyers thoroughly check this before we uh, release it.